Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Today, we're tackling a subject that has made constant headlines in the last few years. Some say it's a rising problem that's hurting our city. Uh, my name is Stephen Sill. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, kind of the uptown area. Um, and I was wondering, with increased focus on affordable housing, what defines affordable housing and what are the value cities doing to maintain affordable housing and rental costs as our real estate market uh, recovers from the bust and gets more and more expensive going forward? Phoenix's affordable housing, or lack thereof, affects more of our lives than we might think. Having affordable housing shapes our city's health, safety, economy, and more. So, is the Valley in an affordable housing crisis? Are we tackling it effectively? Producer Taylor Seeley finds out. So, if you're like me and grew up here, perhaps you were also raised with the idea that Arizona is a great place for families because it's so affordable. But that's changed in recent years. I mean, I think people have thought of us as actually affordable. And then they're surprised when they realize that we have an affordability issue. That's Mark Stapp, the executive director of the Masters of Real Estate Development Program at Arizona State University's W.P. Carey School of Business. Um, Have we always had that affordability issue? No. I think it has become... um, increasingly difficult to find housing that that the entire population can afford. And that has to do with the fact that costs have risen much faster than wages have risen. And we have significant population growth and employment growth, and that demand has put a pressure on the housing supply and basic economics. When demand increases beyond what supply can provide, prices go up. And that's what's been happening here. So Phoenix is becoming less affordable. The thing with not enough affordable housing is it generally leads to many other problems. And our valley has been no exception. In 2017, more than 25,000 eviction orders made their way through the county justice courts. That was the fifth highest total in county history. And in 2018, Homelessness in Arizona rose 10%. That was the fifth highest increase in the country. Joan Service from the Arizona Housing Coalition is one of many people working to stop this problem. I think, you know, there's a myriad of reasons why people might experience homelessness, whether it be domestic violence, substance abuse, a chronic medical condition. But the ultimate reason why they're, they're experiencing homelessness is because they lack affordable housing. They lack that safe space to call home. Um, And I think that that's one of the significant barriers in our community is that we just do not have enough affordable housing in our community. Some have even called what's going on right now with affordable housing a crisis. Housing prices continue to climb here in the Valley. And according to a new report, Phoenix is no longer one of the most affordable places for home buyers. Need of affordable housing getting squeezed out of Phoenix, and it is just adding to our region's homeless issue. Tomorrow, Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego delivers her first State of the City address. It's also an opportunity to hear how the mayor is going to confront the challenges of a growing city, among them affordable housing. But here's something you may be wondering. 
What exactly is affordable housing? Why don't we have enough of it? And how is this shaping and affecting Metro Phoenix? Let's dive in. To understand Metro Phoenix's housing crisis, we have to go back to the 08 recession. Here's Mark Stapp again. So so we went from being overbuilt by roughly 100,000 units in the market, which led up to the recession. We then had this significant impact on our economy, and we actually lost some population. And when we started to recover, we didn't add units back at the same pace that we were developing units previously. By the way, when Mark says units, he's talking about homes. He also said it's gotten more expensive to build new housing because land prices have gone up. And that's because instead of building homes on the outskirts of the valley, developers started looking to build housing in the center of cities and near the light rail. That kind of infill development is in trend right now, and it's expensive. Um, it also takes longer, generally, to build that kind of, of um, housing. And it's not for everybody. So that's a primary reason why it can be quite difficult for people to find a house to buy right now. But renting is also expensive. And so the other thing that happened is we also had this incredible surge in um, single-family detached rental. And um, that became a very competitive marketplace where you had investors, in particular private equity firms, buying single-family homes for the sole purpose of owning them so that they can rent them. So giant disaggregated apartments, if you will. In some cases, there are entire neighborhoods that are actual rental properties. And all of this, in turn, pushed prices way up for renters. So average housing prices in Metro Phoenix are going up and becoming less affordable. But what exactly is the definition of affordable? In order for housing to be considered affordable, it should make up no more than 30% of a person or household's income. That's good advice no matter how much you make. But as housing prices increase, that becomes a big problem for people who don't make a lot of money. Here's Joan again. Um, you know, in, in Arizona, we have uh, a minimum wage that I think went up to about $11 an hour now. Um, but at the same time, working at that minimum wage, a wage earner would have to work 1.4 full-time jobs or work 56 hours per week to afford a modest one-bedroom apartment. Or if they had a, if it was a single mom with kids, they would ha- she would have to work 70 plus hours per week for a two bedroom or have 1.8 full-time jobs. And if again, if she's a single mom, she's gonna be further strained to put food on the table, have appropriate health care, child care, all those things that cre- again create just this compounding impact to, to families. People whose incomes are at 80% of the area's median income or lower are considered low income they are the most at risk when these crises precipitate. For Maricopa County, the area median income for one person is about $48,400. So if you make $38,700, or 80%, you would be considered low income. That's the point where finding a place to live here in Metro Phoenix, where rents are rising, will likely cost more than 30% of your income. 
So finding a home may end up costing you 40 or 50% of your income, which means less money for everything else. It makes life harder. It's called being cost burdened. So what would you do in a time like that? What can people who are low income do? From all my interviews, I basically heard the same process. First, you go to your city housing department. You see if there's public housing or subsidized housing, a place where you pay an affordable rate, so 30% of your income, and the government pays for the remainder. Section 8 housing from HUD, or the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, is one of the most common programs, though there are others. But the problem is, there's a huge backlog for Section 8 and many other programs. Many people enter wait lists for years, and that's if they can even get on the wait list. For example, in 2016, Phoenix opened the wait list for Section 8 for the first time in 11 years. Again, not the actual program, just the wait list. So when low-income families can't get assistance from the government, the next option is a shelter, where they again run into problems. Um, many of our um, shelter service providers would say that there is a huge waiting list. Um, I know that's definitely the case for families experiencing homelessness. So they're, again, living in their car or couch surfing with friends and families. But obviously that's not, again, a sustained solution. Um, also in Maricopa County, and I, and I think this is a conversation that most folks would say is statewide, is that we also don't have enough shelter bed capabilities for um, individuals who are experiencing homelessness. And who is this affecting? Joan shared data with me that showed 42% of them are people in the labor force. They have jobs. They just don't make a lot of money. And the second and third largest groups are seniors and people with disabilities. Um, I think we're seeing a significant rise of seniors who are experiencing homelessness because they, you know, again, through either evictions or through um, a death of of a spouse, they are showing up at the shelter systems. So um, that's becoming a huge um, bubbling up issue in our community. I found one of these seniors who has been affected by this affordable housing issue. Hi, nice to meet you. Her too. name is Susan. I'm Susan. This is uh, Stevie. Stevie is her adorable chihuahua named after Stevie Nicks. She snores and snorts a lot. So if you hear any strange sounds throughout the interview, that's why. My name is Susan Gozer and I live at the 19 West Apartments, and I was born in Illinois, and now I'm here in Arizona. I met Susan at her apartment complex near 19th and Glendale Avenues, and if I hadn't known it was an affordable housing development, I never would have guessed. The kitchen is fabulous. You've got all this cabinet space. Each floor has a communal area that looks like a cafe. It has a new smell, too. Uh-huh, it does. The floors are a nice modern gray color. They look like wood, but it's not real. There's an activity room for children where free craft classes are hosted each month. There's a clubhouse type room with a kitchen. It's beautiful. I mean, they didn't they didn't scrimp on anything. There's even a deck with nice grills and beautiful lighting, plus a small playground for kids. But while touring the facility and meeting her dog Stevie Nicks was fun. The circumstances that led to Susan's arrival here weren't. I want to share her story with you because this issue of affordable housing can seem really conceptual or far away, but Susan's story shows you it's not. 
In the late 90s and early 2000s, Susan and her husband Ron were well off. Susan worked high up for Estee Lauder, and Ron was a successful consultant for restaurants and fast food joints. Eventually, Susan quit Estee Lauder and traveled wherever Ron's job took him. They lived really well, until Ron's health declined. He struggled with diabetes and heart disease, and then he had a bad fall. Um, this was rather the beginning of the end, which you don't know at the time, but he, uh, he broke his neck very severely. He got a traumatic brain injury out of it. Ron worked a lot with numbers, and the brain injury made working nearly impossible. So he eventually had to stop, and Susan became a nanny. And then their landlords kicked them out, not because they didn't pay. The landlord just needed the house back for personal issues. Susan and Ron couldn't find an affordable place to live, so they moved their belongings into storage and started living in a cheap extended-stay hotel. But then she lost her nannying job, too. Then, Susan said Ron broke his neck a second time in physical therapy. His spine was um, arthritic. He walked like a hunchback. He was in constant pain. He was on morphine and fentanyl at the same time, which is about as high as you can get. Um, and he just, he was just in such constant pain and then he couldn't eat. And, and um, after he went into the hospital, they said that, you know, he's gonna have to go into assisted living. And we had talked about this before and he goes, I will never do that. And so he did a DNR, do not resuscitate, and wouldn't let him put a feeding tube in. And he went to a hospice place and he went in on Friday and died on Sunday. His, or, his body just shut down, just stopped. I was there, so yeah. After Ron died, money got worse. Without Ron's disability income, Susan couldn't afford the hotel. Bills started arriving that she had no idea about, and Susan and her dog, Doc, started living out of her car. I just wanted to be by myself, you know. And I had my big chocolate lab. Um, living in your car is, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it really is. Did you ever for a second think that you would be here? Never, never. You think of homeless people as the ones that are begging on the corner dirty with a cardboard sign, you know. Do you think that, you know, if you were walking around town, most people would have realized that you were homeless? Never. Never. She tried to get help. One affordable housing complex she visited had a two-year wait list. I looked into women's shelters. Can't get in them. I looked into homeless shelters. Booked. I, it's, there's not enough being done. It's just, it's horrible. I mean, when somebody, you go to, go to a place and, you, and they tell you the waiting list is two years. You know, I, I knew I couldn't live in my car for two years, you know, so my mind is swimming. I'm, you're, you're just like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm gonna, you know, I mean, I would have worked at McDonald's. I would have done anything if I had a place to stay. But, you know, I couldn't really live in my car with my dog and, and work at McDonald's, you know, when it's 110 degrees outside. Then... She found 19 West, 
an affordable housing complex built by UMOM New Day Centers for people just like her. I am so grateful, so grateful. Everyone here, um, you know, they know what they have. Her apartment is tiny, so she gave Doc her lab to a family with a big backyard. And she got her chihuahua, Stevie. And I was so used to just taking care of someone, so now I, now I get to take care of her. So I'm lucky, lucky. Susan was a productive, happy member of society, but health problems and lost jobs spiraled into financial ruin. Finding this affordable housing complex changed her life. She said she shares her story because she wants people to know. It's the, it's the truth. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody, really. So what's being done to address this issue, or what should be done? What's in Phoenix's future? Local leaders have a few ideas. Take Joan, for example, from the Arizona Housing Coalition. She works with nonprofits to hear the needs of people struggling with housing and then advocates for them at the state level. One of the biggest things you need to know about if you want to understand this issue is called the State Housing Trust Fund. So the uh, State Housing Trust Fund was originally created in 1998, and it received a portion, about 35% of unclaimed property. So what happens was, is if you were to um, move or pass away without um, a will, uh, the state would try and uh, get in contact with you, if they were unsuccessful in getting in contact with you or your heirs, they would collect that and a portion of that proceeds would go to the State Housing Trust Fund. It was originally 35%. Then a few years later, um, it was increased to 55% with that additional 20% going to better address rural housing needs. This State Housing Trust Fund is part of a larger fund called the State Housing Fund, which also includes federal funds to address housing from HUD. Jones said when the State Housing Trust Fund was at its peak of 55% of unclaimed property, it had a balance of about $40 million. And with that, it built homes for first-time homebuyers, it repaired dilapidated housing, and provided disaster relief for homes that were, for example, burnt down in a wildfire. The other thing that the Housing Trust Fund has, has historically done is served as gap financing to leverage federal and capital investments to, as part of the federal low-income housing tax credit program, which has been a significant program um, to create affordable housing. So when it was fully funded, it was really diverse. It was meeting the community needs, um, and uh, it was instrumental in, in being a, a housing resource for our state. So what's the problem? Well, remember that recession? During that time, the fund was slashed all the way down from $40 million to eventually about $2.5 million. For 2019, it's made its way back to about $4 million, but that's still low in comparison. Now, the positive this year is that there was a one-time $15 million infusion into the budget to address rising eviction rates, which Joan said will be helpful but she's concerned no lasting positive change will occur until the funds are consistent and raised to pre-recession levels. Um, so ultimately, what it takes is a multi-agency effort and a multi-funding uh, stream to uh, really address the issue of homelessness. 
similar to you know a functional uh, unemployment process um, you know you you're always going to have people who are cycling in and out of homelessness and ultimately we're never going to not have a shelter system we're never not going to have that emergency shelter um, capabilities we always want to make sure that there's a safe uh, roof for folks who are experiencing that housing crisis i also spoke with terry benelli the executive director of lisc phoenix LISC stands for Local Initiative Support Community. They're the only community development financial institution, or CDFI, in Arizona. What that means, basically, is that they're sort of like a bank, but they receive funding from other local banks and national foundations who are required to donate certain amounts through what's called the Community Reinvestment Act. Remember when Valley 101 tackled redlining a few episodes back? that concept where banks wouldn't loan in areas typically occupied by minorities? Well, the Community Reinvestment Act is a response to that. It forces banks to give funds to a CDFI, like LISC, and then LISC allocates that money to developers to build affordable housing. So basically, Terry sees it all. And she said building affordable housing is difficult in large part because, well, it's hard to make money off of. The revenue that you're going to bring in to build a project like this, um, to pay back the debt for actually building the project, um, is never going to go up. Um, You're always going to have the same amount. You still have to pay for utilities that go up. You still have to pay for, in some cases recently, taxes um, that go up because of the value of the land. Um, That's the, the reason why it's such a niche market. The main way affordable housing is built is through federal tax credits given to the state. But that process is highly competitive because the tax credits are so valuable. And of the approximately 40 developers who apply, only 17 get selected. Um, And we did a uh, research project where we tried to predict how many units of affordable housing would be needed in the coming years. And what we found out was that in 2010, we needed 100,000 units of affordable housing. Since then, and we're almost 10 years later, we've built about 4,000 units. So we know the need every year has gone up because more folks move. Um, You know, we're fastest growing community in the country um, and there's more need for affordable housing units, but we're just not keeping up with the demand by any stretch of the imagination. Members of the academic community, like Mark Stapp, try to help by conducting research and writing papers. He sent me a draft of one of his recent papers titled, The Economic and Social Benefits of Affordable Housing. With it, he hopes to demonstrate the value gained from investing in affordable housing by the state. Housing is the basic bedrock of all other aspects of our life. And if you can't afford your housing or you're having a compromise on other aspects of your life to be able to keep your housing, you're making a whole bunch of trade-offs. And a lot of those trade-offs are, I can't afford my medicine. I can't afford food, I can't afford quality food, I can't afford transportation, um, I can't afford electricity. There's a number of other things which begin to affect you. And so the lack of affordable housing has significant impacts on our society. In reporting on this episode, I think what has been interesting is connecting all of these concepts. Understanding how not having enough affordable housing can lead to homelessness or exacerbate health issues, particularly for someone who is low income. If you, the listener, heard our host Kayla's episode a few weeks back, 
you know a bit about housing segregation and redlining in the Valley. Even that plays a role in affordable housing development today. So all of this to say, these are very complex systems that are interrelated and they shape our city. And I think the more we can all understand those systems, the stronger our community will be. We'll have more empathy for people in different situations, and we can ultimately affect change that will improve everyone's quality of life. Hey, it's me, Kayla again. Taylor, thank you for that thoughtful look into such a complex topic. I know for me, sometimes it seems kind of abstract or hard to understand. Yeah, and I really don't think that's an uncommon perspective, but it is a crisis and it is affecting more and more people every year. You know, like the people I interviewed said, this is something that bleeds out into all aspects of our society. Absolutely. And if any of you are new listeners, remember you can go back and listen to our old episodes. You'll see how a lot of these issues are connected. And if you want to learn more about affordable housing, check the notes of this episode. We'll put a few links in there to recent stories from Republic reporters covering affordable housing. Or you can find a whole package of stories and videos at squeezedout.azcentral.com. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We need more questions for our show. So please ask your friends and family to tell us what they've always wondered about Metro Phoenix and submit it at valley101.azcentral.com. Or you can even ask them and submit it yourself. Either way, I would love to hear what you're wondering. And if you're enjoying Valley 101, please leave us a rating and a review on your podcast app. They help other people find the show. All right, that's it for today. See you next week.